Welcome to the first of RCOG's Podcast Bites, where we delve into a subject that affects many women, fibroids. So if you don't know what a fibroid is technically, they grow from the lining of the womb where the muscle layer is, which is on the outside of the womb. And they can range from being very small, like a size of a pea, or they can grow into the size of a plum, or actually go really big into a size of a melon. And sometimes, actually, they can also shrink again due to differences in our life stages and hormonal effects. Fibroids are, however, very common. Around two in three women developing at least one fibroid at some point in their life. They most often occur in women aged 30 to 50. But what does vary is how much they can reoccur and how they can affect your life. We know fibroids are more likely to affect black women and they're more likely to develop them at a younger age. To discuss this issue in more detail, I'm joined by Gochi Nwulu. Gochi is part of RCOG's Women's Voice Network. I've invited Gochi because she's lived with fibroids and the pain of this condition for many years. Gochi, welcome. I just want to begin by asking you, when were you first aware of this? Hi, Karen. Thank you very much for inviting me along to talk about fibroids. When I was first aware of it, I I think I was in adulthood, really, when I knew what fibroids were. But as a teenager, I um, just started having really painful, heavy periods. I started my periods early and then noticed that they became heavier and more painful every month. My mum was good. She gave me paracetamol. But yeah, it wasn't really cutting it at that point. So you went to your um, GP and what was their response? Well, we had a family GP who was lovely, but my parents were professional friends. So I got given paracetamol for a number of years and the symptoms were diminished for quite some time. I did ask a few years in about the pill, but was told that she wouldn't prescribe that for me. It was a bit frustrating even then. I knew that I wasn't really being taken too seriously. They did prescribe me iron when I was about 13. So people knew I had heavy periods. And then I think about 15, 16, I started taking um, Ponston, methanemic acid, quite regularly, which was helpful. That sounds a little bit tough. But obviously, you must have been perhaps a bit worried about this. But when did you realise that it was probably a bit more serious? I don't know if I did for ages, because... People told me that pain was too expected sometimes. It wasn't anything unusual, but I didn't know anyone else who was taking iron and I didn't know anyone else who was taking Ponston, methanemic acid. It wasn't that I thought it would go away. I just heard in the background that our oh, periods often get better once you have children. So mm. I thought, I would, <laughs> we once, always hope that. <laughs> yeah, once I have a baby, whenever yeah. that is. Um, it's just to be expected until that magical mm. day comes. But yeah, I just got on with it. Yeah. And did anybody ever ask you about perhaps how it might affect fertility or sort of your own future health? Never had that discussion, ever. It was just assumed, because this was the 80s, 90s, assumed that once I finished university, found, um, got into a, a serious relationship, found someone who wanted to start a family with it just be something that I did that I'd have a, a my first kid and the the periods would get better it was mm. never this might affect your fertility 
this mm. might be an issue. Yeah. And then was it ever that it might also affect your anemia levels, your energy generally? Was that ever discussed with you? Well, I just took iron consistently and was told to stay on it. It's, wow. It's just a, a weird one because when I think now, I, I cannot take iron now because I have quite serious gastric issues from taking iron for a long, long periods of time. I'm taking ibuprofen for a long periods of time. I'm, mm. I find it quite difficult. It, I was just kept getting repeat prescriptions and mm. every so often would have a blood test. Um, mm. But yeah. That in itself is interesting because obviously for somebody to be on iron for a long period of time, means there's an underlying chronic illness and for normally for us as healthcare professionals we would want to find out what that was and also treat it and you know and talking to you it does remind me of unfortunately many women I've seen over the years who've attended A&E with really profound anemia from fibroids and then also listening to your story is the pain issue when you've mentioned about taking ibuprofen for so long again we know that that's not a good thing for somebody to be on painkillers for the long term so did anybody talk to you about sort of your recurring pain or offer you options for treatment? Not really. I mean, I went to university and because re- we you start living in shared houses and halls and you realise just how different your periods are. Sometimes we'd go and tottle off to donate blood with your friends and they'd be like, no, your iron's really low. And so you'd be reminded that there's something not quite right. But when you go to the GP, you get repeat prescriptions and no one's following up anything and then I went on the pill which was I think what saved my 20s because I came off iron and found my periods were a lot lighter still quite painful but a lot lighter and more predictable and that's how I I just was on the pill for about a decade. So when do you think you were eventually offered any suitable treatment option for you? I had to seek it really because I got to my early 30s and wanted to see what my peers were like. I was considering starting a family. So I came off the pill and I just noticed how bad my periods were, just really bad. They'd been getting a little bit heavier, but, and I'd got a tip from a GP to continue taking my pill uh, throughout the cycle to, 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 to not to bleed. So I did that you know, um, for a couple of years, every every two or three cycles, I'd have a break because that's the only way I could go on holiday. It's the only way I could get through important events if I thought my, my cycle was going to interrupt that. So in my early 30s, I came off the pill and that's when I sought help because also I'd gained a lot of weight and realised it was re- mainly around my waist. And um, yeah, my periods were just terrible. So I went to my, my GP to ask for a scan. And so um, what treatment did you have eventually? Um, and then what did the scan show, I should ask you as well? Well, the scan showed a uterus that was enlarged and full of fibroid. It wasn't a shock to me because in the intervening years, I knew something was wrong and thought that was probably what it was because people would feel my belly and it'd be quite hard around my periods. And so I, I thought there was something there. And I had a bit more knowledge, but I was a bit shocked by my GP's reaction when he looked at the scan results. He said, oh, God, you'll never have a baby. He literally said that to me. And and that's when I realised this actually will affect my fertility. 
the gynae team that they referred me to was the fertility team because it was fully expected that they would sort me out with uh, a myomectomy, but I'd probably be seeing them again if I needed help with fertility. And that's when it was just like, oh, my, oh my days, it's really caused a problem. So, so for those yeah. of us that are listening, I'll just explain the myomectomy is a surgical operation where um, we open up the assault tummy and we um, look at the womb and remove fibroids um, one by one. And it can be quite a tricky operation because fibroids have a lot of blood supply. So there are lots of risk of blood loss. And also because of if there are several fibroids of distorted or changing the shape of the womb. So it's difficult um, in terms of future fertility, but also the extent of surgery means sometimes it's difficult in recovery. So how was that experience for you, Gochi? Yeah, everything you just said just brings it back. My fibroid was the size of a 34-week pregnant uterus. So there were lots in there. And so my operation was booked, but I had three months of hormone blockers to try and stop, to try and shrink the volume, as I was told, of my uterus. And, and they said that that would probably help with bleeding. So they made very little difference, to be honest. And I went into the operation just relieved to to have them getting them sorted out because I real I think when you get referred for something like that, you realise how much they're truly affecting your life. Because I also had pressure symptoms and so was finding it difficult to bend down. They were just very big. And so I found it quite a difficult operation. It was long for me because of the sheer number of fibroids and it was quite lengthy, I think, because of that and blood loss. I was off work for six weeks and returned to work part-time for a couple of weeks and found found it quite a difficult recovery because I just I had a vertical incision on my abdomen and just found I had no core strength at all so it was it was a tricky one I think it took me probably five six months to feel physically back to normal but but within two months my periods were after, after my first period was terrible which is what they warn you about your first period is really can be quite painful but second period after the operation onwards I was amazed by how much better they were. They're just amazing. So sad to hear that you had such a late diagnosis, um, Gochi. And there's no doubt that we do see when we're in how late diagnosis that impacts, first of all, how we access the fibroids. So some people, when they have a diagnosis earlier, are able to have keyhole surgery. And then if not keyhole surgery, then progress to a bikini line cut. But if the fibroids are then being allow, allowed to just grow, then unfortunately women end up with midline cut below the belly button and sometimes all the way up to the bottom of the chest, depending on the size of the fibroid that you described. The other thing you talked about, which unfortunately women need to be aware about, is those pressure symptoms. So some people think their constipation is just down to a poor diet, but actually it's because the fibroids pressing on the bowel inside. Or they think the fact they run to the toilet so many times is because they've got a weak pelvic floor. But actually, it's due to the fact there's no space for their bladder left because of the fibroids. Or they think that difficulties at intercourse are just them being a bit funny. But it's because of the fibroid protruding down through the top of the vagina. 
So it's it's really you know you know important that people do recognise and and understand about early diagnosis really can make a massive massive difference to people. The other thing I just wanted to ask you about is that I know you've had a late diagnosis, but you've had other members of your family diagnosed with fibroids, um, perhaps some older or younger than you. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, um, I'm the oldest of five girls and um, four of us have had myomectomies. And I, I think I was the one who had the most severe period symptoms. Two didn't have any period symptoms at all. One was a pressure symptom and the other was due to fertility issues, couldn't get pregnant. So um, she had investigations and they found a fibroid. And then the third sister had painful periods and um, heavier periods. And because the, and I guess as you go down in age order, because we know there's a problem, I think my sisters have been seen a bit earlier than I was. So, yeah. So, I mean, you know, obviously you've just um, described quite clearly all the effects that fibroids can have. Um, and we also know that black women are more likely to get fibroids. Um, were you able to find any sort of research to help you? Was there anything out there that was to, able to support you to understand your own health and what was happening to you and actually perhaps to your sisters as well? I mean, the start of the journey was that referral for the operation. And so I went online and it was just a bit limited at the time, 2008, uh, 2009. There are very few websites um, in the UK that are mainly US based, but they were just invaluable in terms of what to take with you to hospital, what to expect. I downloaded some like um, physio kind of tips and tricks, and that's what I shared with friends and shared with my sisters. But as they've had their operations, there's far more now online about, you know, there's other people's lived experiences online within the NHS because some of the US context was a bit difficult to grapple with. For instance, I don't think they stay in hospital as long as we do and they make, they have more keyhole surgery, I think. And then the drug names are all a bit different. So there's a lot more online now and a lot more resources now. That's good to hear that. But we definitely, even regardless of the research, really need to get the information out there for women to know about seeking help early so the treatment can be given early so the fibroids aren't as big really important to people to understand their treatment options so we talked about keyhole surgery but there's also sometimes trans cervical surgery as well with no cuts on the tummy if the fibroids are caught early the other treatment modalities or forms I should say such as ultrasound um, treatment to the fibroid and uterine artery embolization as well which sometimes um, just stops the blood flow to the fibroid and then in terms of any sort of natural things you were any aware of anything that helped you or there's anything that you found in your search? In terms of natural options not really I mean I guess in some of the forums in the US they did explore a lot more like around diets but I was so kind of advanced it was I just couldn't see how that would help but I'm sure living a more physically active life and having better nutrition would help you within within uh, with coping with like recovery from surgery and stuff like that but I don't know how it prevents your I couldn't see 
from the research I did how it would prevent your fibroids. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. And actually it becomes a bit of a cycle. And I think maybe I'm also discussing this for anybody's listening, even health professionals. You've got a lady in front of us who's anemic, who's flooding, who has clots, who's exhausted, whose body's had all this infl- you know, inflammatory response from the fibroids. Actually, sometimes they just need medical help. It's not about necessarily saying go and lose weight or do a bit more exercise or eat some more greens. We just really need to intervene to stop and break that um, progressive cycle of the way the fibroids are affecting her body. The other thing I'll probably just like to add into the discussion is that sometimes women's fibroids do change and we find that they're growing really fast, um, but it's very, very, very rare. But it's also really important that people seek help if they feel that their tummies are a little bit harder or changing. Don't just presume you're putting on weight, essentially, like um, perhaps people said to you, 34 weeks is a really a late, late diagnosis. And it's unfortunate that you weren't listened to at the time. I think your story is so powerful. I think there's so much that we can learn from early diagnosis. So what symptoms to watch out for, about where to seek help. And hopefully this has really sort of empowered women who are listening to understand about their own fibroid journey. Karen, can I ask you um, a question? Um, In terms of treatment, um, why is it some people will have um, a hysterectomy offered, some people will be offered a myomectomy, and then there are others who will be told to ignore them, the symptoms, or that everything's okay with their symptoms? Why do people get just such a Mm. a variety of responses? Mm. So, you know, first of all, when we look at everybody, it has to be an individualised approach where we consider factors such as their fertility wishes, the stage of life they're at, are they about to go to the menopause? And then obviously um, where the fibroids are located and the size. So when we're thinking about the stage of life, often if somebody, we feel they're about to go to the menopause, but they're finding it really difficult and the fibroids are affecting their quality of life, they will be more likely offered a hysterectomy because we recognise that a myomectin itself is um, more risk of um, sort of a major hemorrhage and uh, hysterectomy will be a definitive solution to that problem before they get to menopause. But however, if you've got somebody who's in her 30s and she's choosing to have a baby, we will offer a myomectomy. Having said that, it's a very individualised choice. So even if a woman is approaching menopause that wants a myomectomy, she can ask for her doctor to provide that for her. And then when we're looking at the size of the fibroids, again, um, it depends on whether they're on the inside of the womb, in the layer of the womb, or just on the outside. So if it's we feel it's a more of a simple operation to remove one solitary fibroid, they may be offered a myomectomy. But if it's very complex with multiple fibroids everywhere, where we feel would almost take away most of the womb, then we would offer a hysterectomy at that time. There were other treatments we mentioned earlier when we were talking about um, what we call non-surgical treatments. So that depends, again, whether you've had a previous operation, whether it's one fibroid we're looking at or many. And with one single fibroid with women with no operation and the fibroid has to be less than a certain size, there are ultrasound sort of heat treatments that are available to them. But if the womb has lots of fibroids and then actually trying to cut off the blood supply may be the best option with uterine artery embolization. So you can see it's a little bit complex, but actually it's understandable. Um, we often are told that fibroids are benign, but mm-hmm. is there a risk that they could become something uh, more serious? 
So it's very unusual for a fibroid to turn into what we call a sarcoma or a form of cancer. The risk is tiny. So you'll have maybe one in five or 600 women that may be found to have some sarcomatous changes or some women that present actually with a sarcoma just from the growing growth in their womb. It's actually something that's very, very rare and really shouldn't be something that you are concerned about unless you see rapid growth in a fibroid. It's great that um, it's very rarely something serious like cancer, but fibroids are really, really impactful on many women's lives. The impression I get is that clinicians are taking symptoms like mine more seriously now. Do you think there's been a change in the medical community in that in that sense? I think definitely, Gochi. I think it's a realisation of the disproportionate effect on particularly of people from black backgrounds, together with sort of really good pieces of work looking at women's health, to understand what women are saying, that their voices are lost, that things that we think are, are simple are really not simple. They're destroying people's lives, quality of life, educational attainment, work attainment, marital relations, you know, energy just to live. These are all features of chronic illness and disability, and they are preventable. That's the saddest thing. Are there any other last words that you want to share or anything you want to say before we finish our discussion? Well, just that, really. Don't take no for an answer. Do your own research. If you feel something's wrong, then persist in finding some sort of solution. I know now that people are a bit more, the medical profession are a bit more open to hearing about how something affects your quality of life. And I think you need to kind of impress that upon people you're talking to, even if they tell you that things are normal or to be expected, tell them how it affects you. You know, my absenteeism from work was terrible. Even with being on the pill, I needed a day off at least a month because some some days I couldn't get my pain control right. And so it would be in real pain to even try and thinking of going to work. So that went on in my 20s and I didn't think much about it. And, you know, I had quite understanding bosses. But now, I mean, if, if it affects your education, affects your work, affects your home life and you're tired and, you know, fatigued, then please seek help. So for me, we've caught early and treated all these long-term effects on life on an individual, their family and society are preventable. I would always say act soon, act quickly. Thank you for listening to our podcast on fibroids. For more information, please visit our website. Thank you. You've been listening to In Conversation With, a podcast by the RCOG.